So in our Bible study, we've been talking about discontent. We're going to pick up, we're going to kind of finish that theme off today. Before we do, we've got a couple of text messages that we do need to deal with. Let's see, what have we got here? Scrolling through, here we go. The government ban on conversion therapy. Evil can't win all the time. There are good people in position of power that God will use to hold back the tide of evil that people may know that he is in charge. Amazing things are to happen in days to come. Hold on tight. The world will know that God rules in this world of apostasy. Good text message right there. Okay, uh, next one is here. Experiments on fetus has been happening for a very long time in the name of science and the name of money. Well, I would just add here, mostly in the name of money. Yeah, uh, they will do anything. And, and by the way, I'm going to add this before I, before I go anything for any further. Uh, if this is if this is a fetus that has you know died through natural causes, whatever it might be, uh, maybe through an accident. I guess that's an unnatural cause. Then, uh, if it was my child, I would definitely allow that child to be used to further you know, science mm-hmm. and, and their tissue to be used to further science in whatever way possible in the same way that I would donate my own organs. I believe that we have a moral responsibility to do what we can to donate whatever people can use if, you know, because once I'm dead, I don't need it anymore. And so, but this is not the case. What we're dealing with in this story was fetuses that were being aborted and, mm. you know, just selective abortion because... Parents just wanted to have an abortion, and some of those would probably have been for legitimate reasons, but we know that the vast majority aren't, and that's just a a massive, massive tragedy. Um, And, of course, this was in the university clinic where they then take that material and use it for science, Um, and, yeah. Anyway, they'll do anything. A big part has to do with the human quest for immortality. At the end, they will only find death and judgment. The unbelievable suffering that these unborn children, uh, that uh, that these unborn children experience, uh, they will suffer for in the lake of fire. Wow, somebody's Ooh. pretty upset right there. But it is it is pretty horrific when you look at the documents that are coming out, and they're not even offering palliative care to children that are born alive. Mm. It's just, uh, it's just awful. Mm. It's just awful. Just, I don't even want to think about it. It just, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we can be assured as well. Like you know, God knows the heart. He like, does. God judges fairly and correctly. And it's Jesus who says, like those who like you know bring harm upon these children, it'll it'll be as like it is. It, they may and as well it, tie a millstone around the neck. Yeah, and I guess like that. He, Jesus is really sharing the sentiments that we feel. Because when we hear about crimes like this, well, well, it's not a crime, but when we hear about things like this, it, it just sends shutters down our spine because it's so immoral. Mm. But the the point is, is that like, although we're not seeing justice on this earth, we will see justice. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes, we will indeed. All right, so let's get into our Bible study and Tara. Yes. First Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to read the first 11 verses. Let's start with the first four verses right here. So Tara is a Bible worker at Raymond Terrace Mission, and she's joining us this morning. She just shared her journey of faith. We're going to read this particular story right now. Uh, first four verses of First Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you. All righty. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about your ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. 
In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Okay, so let's uh, have a bit of a think about what is taking place in this passage here. Paul, of course, is writing about the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness. We've been reading about this all week, and uh, it's a story of discontent. So the, the, the story that we have in Numbers, you know, they start off, they're discontented with Moses being the leader. You know, Miriam and Aaron are discontented with it. Then the, then the congregation is discontented with the food that they have. Then they're discontented at the report of the spies, and then they're discontented that the spies say that they can't go in and you know conquer the land. And so they decide that they're not going in to conquer the land, and so God says, fine, then don't go in, uh, spend another 40 years in the wilderness. And then they're discontented that God has said, spend another 40 years in the wilderness. It's kind of a continuing story of discontent, and Paul's going to really tap into this story as we you know work our way down through here to draw out some lessons from it. And so that's why he has talked about this story and he's talked about how they came out of Egypt, they're following the cloud, that God is in the cloud, they've been you know, baptised, symbolically baptised, going through the Red Sea. Mm. There are amazing miracles that are taking place right here. Uh, and, and he's referencing you know, the supernatural divine intervention of God in all of these situations. All right. Uh, Tara, why don't you pick up for us there in verse 5. I'll get you to read a couple of more verses there. All right. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Okay, so some pretty heavy uh, things that are taking place right here that Paul references, and he talks about how their bones were left in the wilderness. The lessons are there for us, and the lessons are the same for us today as what they were back then. Nothing has really changed between now and then. And as we mentioned yesterday, you know what God does when he sends them back out into the wilderness, he is essentially... Uh, he's saying, okay, all of this generation right now, you're not going to go through. The average lifespan in those days was about 40 years old. Uh, People typically died in their mid-40s. Of course, if they were faithful to God, God promised them that they would live into their 70s. But that was unusually long in those days. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was a harsh world back then. It's, It's really that simple. And so God's like, all right, all of the generation that came out of Egypt you're not going into the promised land. I'm going to raise up a new generation and it's going to be a new generation of people that are going to go into the promised land. Mm. Okay, Lawson, why don't you read for us, where do we get up to, verse 8? Yeah, I'll read from verse 9. 9, 10, 11. Yeah, sure, it says, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written out for our admonition, uh, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Okay, so Paul, he kind of goes down through the full list here of all of the things that you know they were discontented over and the results of that discontent. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. 
Yeah, somebody just uh, uh, texted through to say in relationship to you know, the stories that we were talking about before, remember that everything that starts with good intentions does not usually continue as such. And that's kind of, mm. you know, the sad thing about human nature is that we'll often start with good things and good intentions and uh, some good science and then we abuse it. Mm. Let's go to Numbers chapter 14 now and we're going to read this passage. This is going to be an interesting story because what we're going to look at today in particular uh, we've looked at the sin of discontent. Now we're going to look at the sin of presumption. And this one really comes about as a result of discontent. And I think that, you know, as Paul says here, all of these stories are written out as an example for our day. Uh, Lawson, why don't you pick up the story for us in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 39, please? Yeah, just turning there now. I like particularly like in First Corinthians, he uses all these examples of the Israelites to... He puts them in our context. Like, this is what we should not do because... Like, he's he's really using the examples from the Bible, which I think is, like, amazing. I feel like there is a lot of people today, a lot of Christians who look at the examples that are given in the Bible, and it's like, oh, yeah, but they're in the Old Testament, and we're different today. We're saved by grace, da-da-da-da-da. Whereas Paul, in a New Testament context, is like, do not follow the footsteps of these people. Like, do not end up like these people. Do not do these things. Like, as, as much of a problem as it was in their time... It's a problem today. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that, um, you know, I find, you know, when we look at the, um, you know, the the story there of what Paul talks about. And one of the things we, we mentioned at the very beginning of this study was, you know, when was the last time that you heard a sermon on the book of Numbers? Right? So you think about that. Tara, when was the last time you heard a sermon on the book of Numbers? Oh, couldn't tell you. Yeah, exactly. And Paul says this was all written down as an example for us. So we have this example. But we're not using the example because we don't do a Bible study on numbers. We don't do a a sermon on numbers. No. And all of the things that Paul is listing here, you find them in Exodus and Numbers. These are the places where you find those stories. And he says, they're examples for us. And we're like, yeah, no, we're just going to, we're not going to listen, look at those. I wonder why, I wonder whether that's a, a commentary on human nature and how we don't like to read those stories that prick our conscience. Yeah, interesting stuff. All right, Tara, I don't know whether Lawson's microphone is back on. Is Lawson's microphone back on out there? I don't think it is. Tara, so that means it's, uh, as you and I are here this morning on The Breakfast Show, Numbers chapter 14, uh, let's go over there to verse 39. Numbers 14, verse 39. Go for it. When Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Okay, so here's, here's what's, and this is a really bizarre thing. Okay, so you weren't here for the Bible study yesterday. I was here for the Bible study yesterday, and this is the really, really bizarre thing about it. Okay, so here's what you've got. All of the people are like, we can't go into the promised land because they're too strong for us over there. And because they say that, they're like, let's elect new leaders and we'll go back to Egypt. And so God comes along and says, okay, you don't believe that you can go into the promised land. You don't trust me that I can take you into the promised land. All right, then, um, here's what we will do. Um, You don't have to go into the promised land. I will provide for you for the next 40 years in the wilderness. I will give you food. I will give you manna. I will give you warmth. I will give you shelter in the wilderness for the next 40 years. So that you don't have to go in and face all these Canaanites and giants and all that kind of stuff that you are scared of. So this is what God says. And so God comes back 
And how did the people respond again? Read that verse again. Verse 39, where were we? Uh, it says, when Moses reported the Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Okay, so now they're filled with grief. You know, They say, no, we don't want to go in. God says, fine, I will provide for you so you don't have to go in. The people are now filled with grief. Can't win. Yeah, yeah, can't win. God can't win, can he? Uh, and, you know, we, we, we look back on these people and we smile at them, but we have to ask ourselves the question because if we don't, then we are not accomplishing what Paul uh, told us to do. We are not accomplishing the. Um, we're, we're not. We're not. We're not learning from the lessons that God has given to us. So, what, which verse are we up to? Uh, numbers. Numbers fourteen 14? and verse forty. 40. Numbers 14 and verse 40, the Bible says this, And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Okay, 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 okay. How, how, how perverse is this? They're like, the people are like, we don't want to go in. God says, fine, don't. I'll provide for you. Uh-huh. The people say, we want to go in. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, have we ever been like this ourselves as human beings? Oh, yeah. And this is just classic human being behavior right mm. here, isn't that so? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. So that so now, if they decide to go in at this particular point, is God on their side? Is this faith? They're like, oh, we'll step out in faith and we'll go in. No. No, this is not faith. What is motivating them now? Um, Want? Like, yes. need? They're like... Oh, well. That's no, not even need. No, sorry, not even need. Just want. They're just so want. rebellious. They're just like, okay, yeah, as you said, like, it's almost like a child. Like, it's Two-year-old. reverse psychology. Two year old. Like, literally, like, uh, eat this, eat this. And the child's like, no. And then you say, okay, you're not allowed to eat it ever again. And the child's like, oh, no, I want to eat it. Don't like, eat anything else. <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with you people? Come on. Like, yeah, as soon as the option's taken away, like, I, it's like, they're only trying to rebel against God. Yes. Like that's the, that's the only capacity that they have, is to do what God tells them not to do. That's tough. Uh, Tara, why don't you read for us verse forty-one? So they've already gone up onto the mountain, and they're like, "Oh no, we'll go, we'll go into the promised land. We'll, we'll, we'll do this." They've changed their mind all of a sudden. All right, forty-one says, "But Moses said, why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work.' It's pretty simple, isn't it?" You know, God, is, God gave them the option and God said, go into the promised land. They said, we don't want to. God said, fine, I'll provide for you in the wilderness. Go back to the wilderness. They said, we don't want to. How much is God going to flip and flop? Well, eventually he's, not, he's going to stop flopping. He doesn't. <laughs> well, he never flipped or flopped in the first yeah. place, but he doesn't. And this is, there's a really important, you know, because you, what you see here is that the Israelites in the Bible are often called the children of Israel. Mm. And this is why. Mm-mm. Because they are continually acting like children. Mm. And because they're continually acting like children, that's why we, we... But there are important lessons here for parents. Yeah, wow. You know, you think about a lot of parents with two-year-old children and the child says, I don't want to do this. And the parent says, well, parent says, do this. And the child says, I don't. Parents is fine, then do this instead. And they say, no, I don't want to do that. I'll do that instead. And the parent says, fine, do that instead. And they just go backwards and forwards all day long. Mm. God has given them two options, 
and God is not in the business of, you know, just changing his mind with everything that takes place. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Um, okay, so congratulations to Vincent, who is the winner of our prize this morning with the answer being Ecclesiastes. Let's get back into our Bible study. What verse did we get up to, Tara? Must be your turn to read mm. for us. We were in uh, Numbers chapter 14. Verse These 42. people have decided that they are going to rebel against God, and God's like, no, I'm not budging. 42 says, Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. When you look at this story, you could argue, and I'm going to argue against it, but you could argue that God is being indulgent. He's mm. being an indulgent parent because the people have, he's, he's, he's told the people go into the promised land. They've said, we don't want to. And so he said, fine, I'll provide for you in the wilderness. And you could argue there that God is just like, well, you know, I'm the kind of parent who will do whatever you ask me to do. Mm. Except that. The people did not ask to go back into the wilderness. God is a good parent, and he gives them two good options. Mm. One better option, one less, much less better option, but he doesn't at any point give the people what they want just because they want it. Mm. So what they actually wanted was they didn't want to go back to the wilderness. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And God's yes. like, no, I'm not going to take you back to Egypt. And God could have taken them back to Egypt. God could have established them in Egypt. God could have conquered the Egyptians. They were pretty weak at this particular point because of what had happened during the plagues and during the crossing of the Red Sea. They had no professional army and their land was pretty wrecked. But God is not an indulgent parent. God looks at the options and he's like, there are two good options. The best one is I'll take you into the promised land, I'll drive the Canaanites out, and you'll have a land flowing with milk and honey. Mm. The less best option is, okay, you're going to be rebellious about that, all right, then I'll provide for you in your rebellion even, because God doesn't stop loving us, but I'll provide for you for 40 years in the wilderness, but you are not going to see the promised land. Mm. Because there are always consequences. Mm. Then when they turn around and they're like, oh, we're going to go in anyway, God's just like, I'm not with you. And so I learned some really good parenting from this. Number one as parents we need to be parents and make decisions for our children. Mm. They are not qualified to make decisions. And when children run the home, the home becomes foolish because foolishness lives in the heart of a child. The Bible says that's the way it's supposed to be. We, as parents, are supposed to know more than our children know. Mm. And so God looks at the big picture and God gives them the best option and one alternative. That's it. And the people are just always going after their own alternative, their own ideas, none of which are any good. Mm. And God lives, lets them live with the consequences too. That's right. And, th and this is the thing. is because, He gives them the freedom. Like ultimately, ultimately God wanted to put them in the promised land. But if yes. he lets them go now, what lesson is he teaching them about consequences? There are none. Yeah. It's exactly, it's exactly what Satan said in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to, you know, when, when Satan came to Eve and said, you know, um, hasn't God said you can eat all the fruit? And mm. Eve's like, well, we can eat all the fruit except for this tree. Because if we eat the fruit of this tree, we will die. And Satan says, you won't die. Mm. What Satan was saying is, there's no consequences. Yeah, I, I think it's... it's and, and when, sorry, sorry, when we as parents set rules in our home and then give no consequences for those rules being broken, we are communicating exactly the same message that Satan communicated, 
we are saying there are no consequences. The wages of sin is not death. We are preaching the doctrine of Satan and we are raising our children to be in the image of Satan. Mm. And, and it's interesting, like with Satan and with this particular story here, like the opposite of going into the promised land wasn't going into the wilderness, but going into Egypt, right? Going like fully back. But then yes. they, they, they come to a point where they realize that's not an option. That would be actually a worse option. So they try to go into the promised land, but it's on their terms. Yes. And I feel like this is the same way that Satan works. It's not that Satan wants to lead us to, you know, and, but there is, you know, people who end up like this. But I feel like often Satan doesn't lead us to, you know, the opposite of what God would lead us to. But he tries to take what God has made and created on his terms. Yes. Like that is literally the story of our earth, um, is that God has made and created yes. everything and he's taken control on his terms. Salvation by works. Yeah. Hundred percent, and this is this is where the people are. And we always try and serve God on our terms, mm. not His terms. Yeah, well, you know, God said worship on the Sabbath day, mm. and we say, no, no, we'll do it on our terms. We'll do it on Sunday. Mm. Ooh, it's the equivalent of what's happening here. Great, great parallel there, Lawson. Great thoughts. All right, where are we up to? Let's uh, finish out this forty-three, uh, forty-three to forty-five. Yeah. Uh, I can read this one. It says, For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are uh, there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they presume to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Okay, they're like, all right, yep, that's it. We're going to go up. And I don't know which mountain this was, but they go up onto some particular mountain and, you know, threaten the Amalekites and the Canaanites who are there. And it goes rather badly for them. They get wrecked. Like, they just get completely demolished, like, drove, driven back. I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know how far, like, because the mountain isn't, like, specified. And I don't know how far, like, Hormah is a f- away from that. I don't know these distances. But uh, from the way the language is speaking, it's like, they got absolutely destroyed. Like, And if you understand ancient battles, you don't typically get high casualties in the initial confrontation. Yes. Mm. The high casualties come when the rout sets in. That's mm. when you get thousands and thousands and thousands of people being killed when the rout sets in. Mm. And you can see here that you know the Bible is indicating, well, they went to this mountain and then they fled from this mountain to this, even this far... That's a long, long way that they are yeah. running and a lot of people are dying in this particular circumstance. This is a massive tragedy that is taking place. Yeah. Why didn't God step in and come between them with you know, his cloud of pillar or fire and just bar them from going up to this particular mountain to attack the Canaanites? Why didn't God do that? Uh, like two reasons, I think. Respecting, firstly, like respecting freedom of choice, and yes. secondly, he'll like never violate that. He'll never violate freedom of choice. He also wants to teach them a lesson about what it looks like to live life without him. Yes, <laughs> which is death, like and running. It's oh man, it's so silly. All right, so this of course created great mourning in the camp, and it's interesting because they they mourned when the spies came back and said the land is too strong for us. Mm. And then they mourned again when God said, you're going to spend another 40 years in the wilderness. And they're like, oh, we should have gone in. 
And now they're going to be mourning again because so many of their people have died. The lesson here, the very big lesson is to place our trust and our faith in God, not to act in presumption as these people did, but to trust fully in Jesus Christ. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It's time for Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day today is, did Moses have horns? Okay, and a lot of you at this particular point are going, wait. I'm also going, wait, what? Did somebody actually ask this question? Somebody actually asked this question. And so we are actually going to answer this question. Now, there's a little bit of background to this because it's not as silly as it initially sounds. If you go to Rome and you go to the Basilica of uh, St. Peter in Chains, for example, I've been there, I've seen this, you'll find there Michelangelo's statue of Moses where Moses has horns. That's wild. And it's not the only statue or the only medieval painting that there is. There are quite a number of them around the world where Moses has horns. That is so insane. And so the question is, where did this come from? Have you ever come across this, Tara? Never. Never, never. It's like, a, <laughs> it's like so wild. Okay, so here's where it comes from. Uh, it comes from, oh, where did I have that verse here. Exodus chapter 34. And in Exodus chapter 34, you're going to find the story of Moses. So Moses goes up into the mountain. He gets the uh, tables of stone, the Ten Commandments. He comes down. You're going to find that when he, when he comes down, of course, the Israelites are dancing around a golden calf. And so he throws the, the law of God down. He breaks it. It's smashed to pieces. And, uh, and, and of course, then the, the golden calf is destroyed. The, the people are punished and so forth. And so Moses makes another set of tables of stones and goes up into the mountain and spends you know, a whole considerable amount of time there with God where he actually sees part of God's physical appearance, mm. his back. When he comes down, the Bible says that he's been spending so much time there in the presence of God that his face is shining. Mm. Okay, you can read that in your Bible. However, if you were to read that in the Latin Vulgate, it doesn't say that his face was shining. It will say that his face had cornuta. And you might be a little, well, what's that Latin word mean? Well, cornuta comes from the Latin word cornucopia, which means horn of plenty. So the word cornuta is related to the word horn and thus People reading this in Latin in medieval times, like, oh, Moses had horns, and they just like, well, we're going to do a statue of Moses. Let's read about what Moses looked like. Oh, he was an old guy with horns. That is, and so wild. they just carved him as an old guy with horns. Okay, so here's where some of the here's where some of the confusion comes in. Let's run through this very quickly. Uh, the Bible, the Hebrew word for Moses' face shining here is quaran, mm-hmm. which means to send out rays of light. Okay, that's what it literally means, to send out rays. So the rays are uh, beginning on his face and they are being sent out from his faith, face. All right, but then that's quaran. Then you have the word queren, very, very similar word, which means simply means anything that projects outward. So mm-hmm. if you misread the Hebrew word, it's like, well, there's something projecting out, outward from his face. And the word queren is used to talk about Cows that have horns because their cow, their horns are projecting outward. 
Mm. And so then you can draw a link across there, and Jerome drew a link across there when he was translating the Latin Vulgate in the 4th century and wrote horns. That's wild. Okay, but then we actually have an English translation that has horns in it. Mm. Okay, the Jesuit translation... Um, which we, which is called the Reims Douai version. It was done in Reims in the Netherlands by Jesuit priests as a competition to the Tyndale Bible. Actually, continued the tradition because they translated from the Latin Vulgate. They didn't translate from the Hebrew. Mm. And so, when they translated from the Latin Vulgate and they translated in English, they're like, oh, Moses had horns. He came down from the mountain and he had horns. And so, it's kind of continued from. <laughs> Uh, that particular time. The Jewish translation, because the Jews translated the Hebrew into Greek, and it simply says that Moses' face was glorified because they're obviously Jewish people. They mm. actually get the language uh, a lot <laughs> They can else. actually read Hebrew. They can actually read Hebrew, and it's like, yeah, he was glorified. His face was shining. Moses did not have horns. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.